So good to see so many new and familiar faces this morning. Uh, remember that after worship, we're going to have a little reception for Miss Lackey down in the uh, foyer there. We've got a, a few cakes and other treats, uh, so please join us right down in the lobby uh, after this. Uh, if you would, I'd invite you to turn your Bible to page, uh, I think it's 994. We're in Mark chapter 1. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 29 through 34. And so if you would please turn there and then stand with me as uh, we read God's word. And before we do that, let me, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that right now you would quiet our hearts, still our minds, and open our eyes that we might see Jesus. May your word come alive to us today. We pray in his name. Amen. Mark 1, starting in verse 29. And immediately he, that's Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hands and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is God's inspired word for us this morning, so please be seated. We're going to jump right into this this morning, and we're going to look at the healing power of Jesus. Here's four different ways and four different um, areas that we see Jesus as he works, and, and these four are this, that Jesus heals personally, Jesus heals publicly, Jesus heals patiently, and Jesus heals perfectly. Okay, so first, the, the healing of Jesus is personal. Now, when I say personal, uh, don't just think like person to person, but think, think of the words tender and affectionate and intimate. Now, our passage this morning comes right after Jesus had left the synagogue on a Sabbath morning, and he and his disciples went to the house of Simon uh, to do what everybody is anxious to do, I think, right now, which is to go home and have lunch after church, right? You know, Simon's mother, as they got there, she was still at home and she was ill with a fever. And, and we think back to the first century, and remember that fevers were not just minor problems. In fact, there wasn't really any such thing as a minor medical issue in the first century before the advent of modern medicine. They didn't have drugs like Tylenol or Motrin to help them get their fever down, uh, to help with their headaches or pains. They didn't have anything to treat the underlying issues of antibiotics to deal with infections. Now, this wasn't just a case of, you know, she feels a little warm and she's looking for an excuse to stay home from church. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> or doing her chores. Uh, in, in Luke's account, remember, we have actually four different Gospels and three different Gospels record this particular account. Luke, who was a physician by trade, as he talks about this incident, he said that not just that she had a, a fever, but that it was a high fever. 
Uh, the word in Greek there is megalos. Okay, so a mega fever is what she has. I'm not really a, a doctor like uh, Dr. Jenkins over in the corner, um, but I have, <laughs> I have played the role of unlikely, unlikely and unqualified physician uh, in the Dominican Republic at times, and, and I also know how to use the internet. Uh, you know, from my understanding, fevers are never really the problem, right? Instead, they're a sign that your body is hard at work fighting something else like an infection or a cancer or some sort of a bacterial thing. You know, fevers are an outward sign of an inward problem. And, and again, before the advent of modern medication, um, people weren't really concerned about just feeling a little bit warm. You know, if you had a fever, all you could really do was to rest and to hydrate and wait to hope that you might get better. But many people didn't. You know, back at this time, the fever was often the first sign of the end. It wouldn't have been unlikely for Simon's mother-in-law to be lying there at home starting to think about what her funeral service is going to be looking like in a couple of days. She's so ill that she can't get out of bed. She may just have hours left to live. And when Jesus and the disciples get there to the house and he's told about the condition of Simon's mother-in-law, he goes straight to her. Right, the disciples, they had just left, if you missed us before, they had just left, left the synagogue. And this is where Jesus had been teaching and preaching, it says, with authority. And to sort of put the cherry on top of that event, there was a man in the, in the synagogue with a demon who starts crying out. And, and Jesus silences him and casts out the demon, revealing who he really was. And, and, and the demon, before he was silenced, he said this about Jesus. He said that Jesus was the Holy One of God. Now, this is actually an Old Testament term that's reserved for God, the, the Holy One, which all the people would have recognized. And back in the first century, though, when, when people started thinking about holy people, they would have thought immediately about their holy people, which were the scribes and the Pharisees, their religious leaders. These were people that Jesus tells us they wore kind of funny tassels on their clothes. They wore interesting looking hats. Uh, and they were, essentially, their job was to be as holy and perfect as they possibly could. They loved people not just to look up to them as examples, but just to look up to them. More accurately, they loved to look down on other people. And in Jesus' well-known parable, the Good Samaritan, you probably remember this story. It was the holy people who were careful not to get close to a man who had been beaten and left for dead on the side of a road. Because if he actually was dead and they got a little bit too close to him, like maybe they accidentally reached out and touched his corpse of a body, that meant that they would have been unfit for temple duty. And they would have to go through a time of cleansing. But the consequences of getting that wrong, they were a little bit more than just a couple of days off of work. See, Numbers chapter 19 verse 13 reads this. It says, whoever touches a dead person... The body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. See, if they got too close or if they had become defiled and then they went to the temple without being cleansed, they could be cut off from God's people. See, holy means sacred or set apart, perfect. 
the holy people who served the holy God were to have nothing to do with anything that wasn't holy. Yes, they would make and they would also receive offerings on behalf of the sick and the diseased within their community, but they would never touch those people until after they had been fully healed. And yet, what do we see here? Jesus, the perfectly holy one, he hears of a sick woman, he goes straight to her. And without a single diagnostic question or any hesitation at all, it says that he reached out gently and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Instantly, she was well. Instantly, she was whole. In a moment, she went from planning that funeral service to now figuring out how she was going to serve all these guests that were in her home for lunch and for dinner. So what happened here? Well, the God of the universe, the one who created life itself, who, who formed humanity from the dust, as we see in Genesis 2, and breathed life into his nostrils, who meticulously and expertly designed every organ and muscle and blood vessel and cell and strand of DNA to work together in a beautiful harmony. The God who had wonderfully knit even this very woman together while she was still in her mother's womb. It was that God, the Holy One, who showed up and he reached out his hand. He wasn't afraid of her uncleanness tarnishing his holiness, just as he is never afraid that our impurity might tarnish his purity, because that's not even possible. See, Jesus sees this woman right where she is in her moment of deepest need in her heart and her, his, his heart and his hand goes straight to her, just as it does to us. Now, how does she respond? What does the heart of one who has encountered that personal healer look like? Well, she immediately starts to serve him. It's this loving, voluntary service that's motivated out of the deepest gratitude and wonder. See, don't think that Jesus just healed her so that he could have something to eat. Right? He didn't make her better because he wanted someone to make him lunch. He healed her because he loved her and because he knew what she needed, because Jesus is the personal healer. And as our passage continues, we also see that Jesus is a public healer. After preaching and casting out the demon in the synagogue, Mark records that Jesus' fame started to spread everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee. Now, technically, it would have remained Sabbath until the third star came out that evening. So, so after church, everybody would have gone home to have lunch, and then they would start to talk about what they saw and what they heard. Remember, it was the, the teaching of Jesus was a new teaching with authority, full of love and grace and truth, which these people had never heard before. And then they shared about what had happened with that man with the demon. And, and those people like this woman who weren't well enough to be able to go into worship started to hear. And the people began to think, well, if Jesus could do that for this guy, what might he be able to do for me? And so Mark says that that night at sundown, remember just as that third star is appearing in the sky, the, the, the streets of Capernaum start to teem with people. Now you can imagine the sight, right? It's getting a little bit dark. And there's mothers and fathers carrying their, their small children in their, in their arms. There's the elderly and, and the, the weak who are kind of hobbling around these dirty, dusty roads. There's people that are grabbing their loved ones with demons against their will and dragging them. Imagine what that sounded like or what it looked like. You might think of like a scene from The Walking Dead you know, where everybody's just coming down the lane trying to find 
the house of Simon. Imagine what it smelled like. Those people who'd been trapped up in bed or who were sick with infection and, and who knows what else come pouring in all to the same place. And there's howling and there's screaming and there's everyone together. Mark says the whole city is gathered there at the door of Simon. And they're pushing. And they're pushing. And they're just desperate to see who Jesus was. Mark's gospel says that he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. We get this picture of there's a whole bunch of people there. But it wasn't just that he healed some and not others. In Matthew's gospel account, he says not that he healed many, he says that he healed all. So as many as came to Jesus, he had power over everything. Nothing was too big for him. Nothing was too small for him. There's fevers and infections and injuries and demons and everyone who had problems came to Jesus. And even though it was starting to get dark, there was no hiding this healing. There was no hiding anything. There was no hiding the fact that you needed a healing and then you came out to find Jesus. And as we think about ourselves, think about how often we are ashamed and afraid to admit our own needs. We think that it, this idea that, that somehow if, if I'm needy, that means that I have this fatal flaw. And what's especially confounding is that there's so many Christians who allegedly claim to trust the one and only true grace and mercy of God who are quick to kind of cover over their own problems and we're hesitant to reveal who we really are to other people because we're afraid of being ashamed and rejected. But if you're on the fence about whether or not you should admit that you have needs, uh, consider this, everybody else already knows that you have them. And not only that, but everybody else has them as well. The, the difference is that some of our needs are easier to see than others. But we all have them. And, and the, the big point here is that God knows that we have them as well. He knows what, we're, what we need. When we're reluctant to bring our needs to God, the only thing that we can prevent is our own healing. He not only knows what we think that we need, but he knows what we actually need. The things that we need more than what we understand. I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor and you go in with this idea of what you need. And then the doctor tells you, well, that might be the case, but you also have an, a bigger issue, right? When we're willing to admit that we're not self-sufficient and that we can't fix ourselves, then God begins to do his work in our lives and it becomes a public testimony to his power and to his grace. And the healing of Jesus is a testimony to the love of Christ for the world. See, at this point, the people didn't even know who Jesus really was, but there were some people there that knew. And who were they? Once again, they were the demonic spirits. Mark says he wouldn't permit them to speak because they knew him. See, Jesus did not allow them to reveal his true identity in the world. See, just as earlier in the synagogue, the demons were the only ones who knew who Jesus really was, but, but the time wasn't ready for everybody to hear that message. The healings of Jesus were a part of his public ministry, but they weren't at the heart of it. The heart of his ministry was as he was preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And after he left Capernaum, he goes into other towns, not just 
healing, but primarily preaching and sharing the good news of God. See, why didn't Jesus just allow those demons to announce who he was? Well, the, the simple answer is the timing wasn't right because he is a patient healer. Now, here's a question for you. What makes a good physician? Have you ever had a really good one? Would you raise your hand if you've ever had a great physician? Have you ever, would you be so willing to admit if you've ever had a not so great physician? See, studies show that, that patients are most satisfied with doctors who listen to and care about them. See, no one's overly impressed with high MCAT scores or good med school grades. In fact, the smartest physicians are often seen as people who won't listen and who don't take the time to really understand the concerns of their patients. So who don't have the time to actually deal with the people right there in front of them. See, when the doctor decides what you have before you even get a chance to doctor the doctor, that's very off-putting, isn't it? When they talk down to you and make you feel dumb and try to give you a lecture about something that you, that you actually started doing already. Then we're not really interested in what they have to say. Then we might not take the medicine that they prescribe. You know, some of my friends who are great physicians aren't great physicians because they're really bright and intelligent, although they obviously are. They're great physicians because they really care about people. And that's often what drove them into medicine. You know, they don't do it for the paycheck. They don't do it out of the desire to, to show themselves as superior to people. But they do it out of the desire to use their knowledge and their gifts to help people. I've seen a lot of that with my own eyes as we've served overseas in the Dominican Republic as, as doctors and nurses and other medical professionals have given up their time and, and freely served the most vulnerable people on the earth, offering their expert care and love. See, Jesus has infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge and infinite power, but that wasn't what made him a good physician. It was his patience and his heart that went out to people. People who were sick, who were hurting, who were suffering, who were desperate, they all wanted something from Jesus, and he was not only able to provide it, but he was also willing. I've shared before how on some of those medical teams that we've been a part of, I've sort of served as the bouncer. Okay, uh, let me just say that's not the most fun position uh, in a medical clinic. You know, I've, I've had to be the person that is trying to, to hold people at bay as we've arrived out to a remote location and there might be hundreds of people who've been there since early in the morning looking for care from a doctor. You know, mothers who bring their sick children men who bring their elderly parents and they're all gathered and everybody's the opposite of patient. They're anxious, they're concerned, they're worried and they get a little bit pushy and they get a little bit shovey and they start to say things to you and when everybody's crowding at you and screaming at you, especially in a language that you don't understand, sometimes you start to push back when they start to push on you. So there's been at times when I've tried to turn people away that had serious medical needs because to my untrained eyes it looked like they were just there for some free ibuprofen or maybe a dress for their daughter. You know, my love has limits. I actually have lots of limits to me. My help has limits. Some of it's financially motivated. Some of it's um, just personally. I've got a, a certain amount of energy level. Sometimes it's resources. But Jesus' love has no limits. 
Jesus is not like me, praise God. He's not like you either. See, they all came, all these people came with their own agendas. They just wanted to use Jesus. They just wanted a piece of Jesus. And what does it say? That he healed everyone who came to him. He still loved them. He didn't dismiss anyone. He didn't give them a little side elbow and shove them out the door. He cared for all their needs. They pushed against him. They demanded of him. And he gave himself to them. He didn't take offense at their smells or at their bluntness. He didn't lash out and tell everybody just to sit down and shut up and take a number. That's what I've done before. He knew that those most desperate people were probably the, the neediest. He knew that there was no other hope for them. And his heart goes out to the neediest people. He loved them all because he is not like us. Jesus loves with no limits and he heals with no reservations. But Jesus also knows what we really need. A perfect healing. A permanent healing, not just for us, but also for our world, for all of our lives to be fixed, not only now, but forever. Think about this. Everyone that Jesus healed that day in Capernaum would go on to get sick again, would go on to feel pain again, would go on to taste that, that bitter sorrow of death and loss. But these things will not always be so. See, those healings of Jesus were not designed to last forever, but to point us to a better day, a more glorious day, a more beautiful day when all the bitterness of life will be no more. See, later on, Jesus miraculously had fed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and some fishes. And, and afterwards, the whole crowd started to follow him, and Jesus accuses them, and he says, Hey, you're just following me because you want another free meal. You don't think that I am who I say I am. You just want some more bread. He says in John 6, 25, You're seeking me not because you saw some signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You know, you're, you, you got what you wanted from me, and now your belly's full, and you're afraid your belly's going to get empty again, and now you're just coming back again and again and again. But you're looking for the wrong thing. You saw the sign, and a sign is something that points to a deeper, truer reality. But you missed the meaning of the sign. The sign is not the thing. It points to the thing. And then Jesus told this to the crowd. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, I will give for the life of the world. That bread is my flesh. The healings were a sign pointing to a deeper reality of what was to come. And what does God have in store for his people? Well, we flip way to the back of the Bible to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, which says that there's a day that will come when he will wipe every tear from every eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the things, the former things have passed away. My friend, a better day... A better day is coming. It's coming for those who know and love Jesus and who understand who Jesus is and who trust in what Jesus did. And who is he exactly? Well, he is himself the wounded healer. In Matthew's account of this, of this episode, we find that, that he actually draws a tie to a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53. 
He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Isaiah 54 reads, 53, 4 reads this, surely he has borne our griefs. Griefs means sicknesses and disease. And he has carried our sorrows. Sorrow means pain, whether physical or emotional or spiritual. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This was a prophecy that Isaiah had written 700 years before Jesus came, talking about the Messiah of God, the one who was going to come and make everything right. And how was he going to do that? He was going to bear those things upon himself. We continue in verse 5, reads, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, we all suffer. But scripture tells us that Jesus suffered too. Henry Nouwen writes in The Wounded Healer, he says, Who can save a child from a burning house without taking the risk of being hurt by the flames? Who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart and even losing his precious peace of mind? In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? You see, Jesus was the one who entered into our world and personally took upon himself all of our sicknesses and all of our diseases and all of our heartaches and all of our pain and all of our sorrows. He's the one who was publicly pierced and crushed and beaten and wounded, not for his own sins, but for ours. He is the one who patiently endured not only the pain of the cross, but also the scorn and rebuke of the very people that he came to save. And he is the one who brings us true and perfect peace. The peace that enters into the deepest areas of our hearts those places where guilt and shame linger. And he speaks truth, the truth of the love of God into our weary souls. The peace of Jesus is a perfect peace. It's a complete wholeness. And it's something that will last forever. For he is personal, he is public, and he is patient. But he is also perfect. Will we allow him to enter into those spaces in our hearts today? Will we allow him to bring his healing touch that flows out of his perfect love for us? Will we take his hand as he reaches down to us and offers to lift us up and restore us to a life of love and devotion? Won't you pray with me? Gracious soul, we're reminded that that in our misery, in our weakness, in our sorrow, at, at the time of our deepest need, that is exactly the time that Jesus loves us most. That is exactly the place where Jesus decided that he would give his life for ours because he knew that we couldn't take life on our own. Lord, we thank you for the gentle touch of a perfect savior. We pray that you would help us to think of those places and to to open up to you 
those areas of need, Lord, those places that we try to hide from everyone else and yet you already see. Lord, would you enter in? Would you allow us to receive the gift of love, of mercy, and of grace? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.